looking at a pretty famous encounter that the risen Jesus had with one of his disciples, Thomas. And history has um, given Thomas an unfortunate adjective. You might know him as doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. History has given this guy an adjective uh, to identify him by. I think, though, what we're going to see today is we need to take it easy on Thomas, okay? Um, As we'll see, I think calling him Doubting Thomas is a bit unfair. I mean, what if somebody gave you an adjective that history would remember you by for the next 2,000 years if you had an adjective based off of one of your lowest moments? That's not very fair, is it? Um, and and we're going we're gonna to look at this today. I'm submitting a motion to uh, the powers that be in the Christian world uh, that we need to have Thomas renamed to the greatest confession of faith of all time, Thomas. The goat confession of faith, Thomas. That, that's what his name needs to be. But what we're going to see later at, at the end, as you've, as you've read already and, and seen, That this confession of faith, this great confession of faith, is the same type of faith that you and I must have in order to have eternal life. So though Thomas, we might know him as Doubting Thomas, what he ends up being after an encounter with the risen Jesus is um, a picture of what you and I must be as well after an encounter with Jesus. As we examine this encounter and look at what John under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, wants us to understand from this text. There are a couple of areas of identification that we might have with Thomas and and with this text. Maybe you have been or are skeptical about Jesus rising from the dead. Maybe that's you. Maybe like, and you can identify with Thomas. Like, I, I need, I need, cold, hard facts. I need the evidence before I'm gonna believe that Jesus really rose from the dead. Maybe that's you. Or maybe if, if you are a Christian, if, if you believe these things, maybe you know somebody that's a skeptic that would say, yeah, I mean, there seems to be credible claims. People are telling me that this is true, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to believe it unless I've got kind of the, the, the evidence to back it up. Maybe you know somebody like that, somebody who's made those statements like, I will never believe that Jesus rose from the dead, or I could never believe that. And for all of us, something that ble- plagues us all, if, if you're a Christian, is um, maybe our unconscious assumption that some people are, are too far gone. You know, I, I bet the disciples, after they, after they heard Thomas say, I will never believe, maybe some of them were like, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's all for Thomas. Kind of write him off. And so we, we learn from, from this text in, in Thomas, his skepticism and his denial that he would ever believe Jesus actually flips upside down when he has an encounter with the risen Jesus. And so this teaches us that there is nobody too far out of the reach of the saving hand of God. And that is true for everybody in your life, regardless of who it is or the statements that they've made in the past about whether they would or would not believe in Jesus, that he rose from the dead, that, that that can go for anybody. I have people in my life that maybe I've unconsciously said, yeah, that they're, they're probably n- never going to become a Christian. But this text encourages me to know that um, anybody, anybody can come to faith in Jesus after they have a, a, an encounter with the resurrected, risen Jesus. And there's something for us all in this text today. At the end, what we're going to see that you and I, we all need this type of faith that Thomas has by the end of his encounter. We all need this. So there's something in this text for all of us. And here is the point of the sermon. An encounter with the risen Jesus can make the greatest skeptic 
a genuine believer. An encounter with the risen Jesus. Jesus can make even the greatest skeptic a genuine believer. And I include that word genuine for a specific purpose that we'll see at the end. Because this type of faith, again, that Thomas has is the type of faith that you and I need. We, we must be genuine believers as we'll see. But the first thing we see in verses 24 and 25 is the skepticism of Thomas. We see the skepticism of Thomas. You, um, verses 24 and 25, we can look at it again. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands in the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas makes an unequivocal statement here. I will never believe unless I touch him, unless I put my fingers in the, in the scarred hands of Jesus. And if I put my finger into the side where he was pierced with the spear, I'm never going to believe. See, Thomas is pretty skeptical. Maybe skeptical is even a light word. He makes a, an unequivocal, I will never believe statement. Um, but if you look at verse 24, this is where we need to sort of try and sympathize with Thomas a little bit. Verse 24 says, he, he wasn't there. When the rest of the disciples saw the risen Jesus with their own eyes, Thomas wasn't there. I mean, can, can you be too hard on him? I mean, think about it. Try and, try and kind of empathize maybe a little bit with Thomas. He's been following Jesus with the rest of the disciples for all this time, for three years. He's been following along. And, uh, and we don't know where Thomas was when he appeared to the disciples here. We're not sure what he was doing, where he was. I'm sure he was lonely. I'm sure he was confused. I'm sure he was scared. And then he joins back up with the rest of the disciples and they try and tell him, we saw, we saw Jesus. It, this is how I would What do you mean you saw Jesus? You kidding me? What are you talking about? You didn't see Jesus? Unless I, unless I see him, unless I touch him, I'm not going to believe. I mean, think about it. I mean, can we be too hard on Thomas? He wasn't there with the rest of them. He wasn't there. I mean, I, I, I could certainly understand that. I mean, this, this had to be one of the, the greatest um, you had to be there moments, right? You, you've heard, you know, you, you've been in these experiences where people, somebody tells you a story and you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then they finish, you're like, okay, well, you know, like, oh, you, you know, you had to be there. <laughs> you had to be there. And this is sort of one of those moments for the disciples here where, where you, you, you know, you, you really had to be there in order to grasp the weight of what's really going on. And if you weren't, then, you know, that's going to be hard. And that's the situation that, that Thomas is in. That's the situation that Thomas is in. The ultimate, you had to be there moment. They say, oh, you know, the disciples, I can imagine, say, I, you know, well, we saw him. I, you had to be there. And because we, we weren't there and whatever the situation was, because Thomas wasn't there, he can't fully grasp the, the weight of what's going on, the fullness of what happened. He wasn't there. And Thomas was not yet a believer in the way that the other disciples were because he hadn't had an encounter with Jesus yet. So let us sympathize with Thomas in, in this way. He hadn't had his encounter with the risen Jesus. And Thomas could represent in, in this way um, he could represent anybody in your life that hasn't come to faith in Christ yet. He could represent anybody. I mean, can you be mad at somebody because they haven't had an encounter with Jesus? They, they don't know him. They, they haven't um, encountered him in faith. 
You know, Thomas is a different situation. He's going to be able to see him with his physical eyes, and we're going to see that we see um, with the eyes of our faith, of course, and we're blessed because of that. But Thomas could represent anybody in your life that hasn't had an encounter with Jesus yet. You can't be angry with them. I mean, you've got to sympathize. You've got to do your best to understand what it was like before you knew Jesus, which is impossible for us to do, but you have to try and put yourself in their shoes to some degree to say, I, I understand you, you, you you know, you, ha- you don't know him like I know him. You haven't seen him like I've seen him. You haven't experienced him like I've experienced him. And that's the same. Thomas is in this boat, and, and Thomas can represent anybody in-, in your life that hasn't had an encounter with Jesus yet. Don't be angry, right? Don't be angry with them. That doesn't do any good. Don't be hard on them because of their unbelief. They haven't had an encounter yet. An encounter with the risen Jesus can make the greatest skeptic a genuine believer. That's what we see in the life of Thomas. So we see the skepticism of Thomas. But next in verses 26 and 27, we encounter the kindness of Jesus. The kindness of Jesus in verses 26 and 27. Look at it again. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Listen to this. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. The kindness of Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus makes the same type of appearance that he made before. If you looked back at, at the, when he encountered the disciples first in verse 19 and, and 20 of chapter 20, you see that Jesus does the exact same thing. He shows up, he declares a word of peace to the disciples. Same exact experience that the disciples had before, now he's giving to Thomas. And he speaks to Thomas in verse 17, and behold the kindness of Jesus as he deals with his people. Jesus doesn't speak to Thomas and say, why didn't you believe your brothers and sisters? They told you I had risen. I mean, why didn't you believe their testimony? They told you, right? They told you they'd seen me. Thomas isn't disciplined by Jesus here. You know, he's not angry. He's not disciplining Thomas for being in a state of unbelief at this time. Jesus isn't disappointed with Thomas that he was uh, unbelieving. and He wasn't disappointed that he made this unequivocal statement, I will never believe. Jesus isn't disappointed. He isn't angry with him. Behold the, the kindness of Jesus. Maybe you need to hear this word this morning. Certainly there are people in your life that you know that need to hear it. Jesus is gently, in the only way that he can, um, approaching his people in a loving and kind way and commanding them, do not, do not disbelieve, but believe. He's not coming down with, um, you know, the, the wrath. He's not carrying a stick, beating people over it, trying to beat them into belief. He is kindly revealing himself to his disciples and saying, do not disbelieve, but believe. Here I am. S- see the, the nails in, in my hands. See, see where I, my, my side was pierced. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Look at what I have done and, and see how I have risen from the dead. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And the kindness of Jesus we see here. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed in order for him to believe. Isn't that interesting? 
Um, you remember Thomas said, unless I place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And here Jesus says exactly what Thomas said. He said, put, put your finger here. Place your hand in my side. Um, Jesus is proving that he hears his disciples even when he's not physically present. But even more than that, um, he removes Thomas's barriers to belief. And that's what an encounter with the risen Jesus will do. Jesus is utterly kind in dealing with us. Not disappointed, not bringing a, a, a word of discipline, but kindly approaching us, removing our barriers to belief and saying, do not disbelieve, but believe. And as John is going to point out in verse 29, um, for us today, and for anybody throughout the rest of history after this moment, and anybody reading this gospel, the, the gospel of John, um, we are not going to have the same opportunity as Thomas, are we? In this life, on the earth, we are not going to see with our own eyes the risen Jesus until he comes again in glory. But, but we will not see, um, in this life, we will not have the same experience as Thomas. But the risen Jesus, by his spirit, still is giving people what they need to believe. And if you've put your faith in Jesus this morning, um, the same experience has happened to you, though not physically, but spiritually. You have um, had an encounter with the risen Jesus where he has said in so many words, do not disbelieve, but believe. Come to me. Believe in me. Experience life. And if you have had this experience, then um, John, God, would call you blessed because you have believed and not seen. Paul teaches in Romans 10, 15, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So today, our faith comes from hearing the words of Christ and receiving them by faith, right? Everybody in this room, if you're a Christian, you all have a different conversion story, some very different than others. Some of you, you know, you grew up in the church, you, you've heard the gospel your whole life, you don't remember a time when you didn't believe and praise God for that. Um, some of you maybe have had a little more radical experience where, um, you know, the, the nice Christian way to say it is you have a past, um, but you have uh, experienced the grace of God. He has forgiven you. Or maybe uh, you, you are maybe a little bit more like Thomas. Maybe you are a skeptic and you've kind of done the research and tried to figure it out and you've come to the conclusion that, in fact, this is true, that Jesus really did rise from the dead and you have trusted and believed in him. We have all different types of stories of conversion in this room. Um, but the, the same is true uh, of Thomas here, that... Um, the risen Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is revealing himself in kindness to his people, just like he did to Thomas. So the same is true for you and I today. The same is true for anybody that, need, that you know that needs to have an encounter with Jesus. This will be their experience, Lord willing, that Jesus will reveal himself in kindness and say, do not disbelieve, but believe. But they have to hear the word of Christ. Somebody has to tell them about what Jesus has done for them to believe. You know, about conversions, I think of the more famous stories like uh, The Case for Christ. If you haven't seen the movie, it's actually pretty good. Um, you know, it's the story of Lee Strobel. It's a book. Um, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a good movie. And, and you see what happens. He's a, he's a journalist. He does all this research. And he kind of goes out on this mission to, to weigh the evidence of the resurrection of Christ. He's trying to see, is this true? Like historically, can I get down into the history? Can I, weigh the, can I weigh the evidence and come to a conclusion about whether this is true or not? 
And so there's this, there's this scene toward the end where he kind of has all of the evidence up on the wall. You know, it kind of looks like a beautiful mind stuff. Or, you know, everything's kind of pinpointed here, there. He's making all these connections. All of this evidence, all of this history is kind of up there, and he's sort of looking at it. And you can just, the, the movie does a good job where it just, you just feel the weight of the truth behind what he has done and researched. And there's this moment um, where he, he kind of realizes that it's all true, that this is true. The resurrection of Jesus, I mean, it happened. It's true. What Jesus has done is true. And he comes to this moment and uh, he realizes what Jesus did and he realizes specifically, not, not just the historical fact, but then he realizes that Jesus did what he did for him. He did it because he loves him. He did it because he um, loved him so much that he would pay for his sin on the cross. That's the experience that then he has. Not only that it's true, you do have to kind of weigh the evidence, the history, whatever, but then you have to come to the personal realization that Jesus did it for me. And that's what the story does in, in the case for Christ. And then there's this moment in the movie where he very dramatically is like, all right, God, you win which is a little dramatic, probably a little too cheesy for the reality. Um, but it is, um, that's what he needed to come to faith. So the, the same sort of conversions, the same things are happening today. Jesus is giving his people what they need in order not to disbelieve, but to believe. Other people have different stories, different needs, but Jesus comes to us by his spirit in his love and his kindness, and he commands us to believe in him. So do you believe in him? Have you come to him by faith? Has he revealed himself to you? I pray that today would be that day if he hasn't. You know, um, as we go on, we, we see then in verse 28, what we see in verse 28 is the confession of faith. Thomas's confession of faith. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. This is Thomas's confession of faith. You know, if you Google doubting Thomas, um, what would pop up on the images are all these, uh, you know, depictions of, of the paintings uh, of this um, encounter. And every single one of them has Jesus, like, taking Thomas's hand and, and like, putting it in his side where the, where the hole would have been from the spear. All of, them, all of them have sort of that depiction in that moment. And that, that makes for a nice picture. But the text doesn't actually say that that's what happened. Um, the text doesn't say uh, that, that he grabbed his hand. Yes, Jesus does extend the invitation, but he doesn't say that he did it. It seems to me that when Thomas gets the same experience of seeing the risen Jesus, just like the other disciples did, immediately upon seeing him, he makes this confession of faith. Which is interesting because you remember Thomas said unequivocally, I will not believe unless I touch him. But then as soon as he sees him, my Lord and my God. He doesn't, he doesn't need to touch him anymore because all it takes is, is seeing Jesus, seeing the risen Jesus for us by faith, seeing him, that's all it takes for us to bow the knee, say, my Lord and my God. He erases all of our doubt when we have an experience with the risen Jesus. And Thomas's confession of faith of my Lord and my God is very significant for several reasons. One, it's one of the most explicit statements of the, of the divinity of Christ in all of the New Testament. I mean, Thomas very um, plainly says, Jesus is God. 
There's no, there's no way around that, you know. Um, and, and that is very important, um, that Jesus is God. And this statement might be the climax of the whole gospel of John. If you remember, in John 1.1, 1, 1, John starts out his gospel. Remember, these are whole works put together to tell one story. John has a specific point he's making. And John starts off his gospel with, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he ends this with this climactic um, moment with the, the disciple Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. So it's, it's as if John is wanting us to corroborate the evidence here. John makes a claim in the beginning that Jesus was God and here at the end, after having risen from the dead, we have his disciples proclaiming, yes, he is God. It was very significant for that reason. Um, Thomas saying that Jesus is God. Maybe even more important than that, though, is that this confession of faith is important because it is the same confession of faith that you and I must come to. This is the same confession of faith. These are the same words that you and I need to say and to live out in order to have life in Christ's name. In order to... Um, be united with Christ by faith in order to have life now, to have abundant life that Jesus promises, and in order to have eternal life with Christ, um, we must say this and live this out, my Lord and my God. This is the same type of confession of faith that you and I must have. And John really wants us to see this. And verse 29 tells us why. In verse 29, we see the good news for us. The good news for us, meaning you and I in this room in 2021, this is the good news for us in verse 29. Because Jesus said to him, speaking to Thomas and maybe all the disciples, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. That's you and I. If you're a Christian in this room, Jesus pronounces a special blessing upon you. If you believe in Jesus, but you haven't seen him with your physical eyes, which is all of us, Jesus pronounces a special blessing upon you for having believed, even though you haven't seen. Isn't that special? That's good news for us. That Jesus um, knew and, and saw this moment in time where you would be a believer in him. You would follow him. That you would bow the knee to him and say, my Lord and my God. And Jesus saw this moment and he calls you blessed because of it. Good news for us. We're blessed if we believe and have not seen the risen Jesus, but we believe with our eyes of faith. But remember, Thomas's confession of faith is the same type of faith that we must have in order to be blessed the way Jesus says. John wants us to see that this type of faith is the type of faith that we must have in order um, to have the life that Jesus wants us to have. John wants us to see that Thomas's confession of faith is the confession of faith that we must have. Remember the point of the sermon, an encounter with Jesus can make the greatest skeptic a genuine believer. Remember I told you, I included that word genuine for a reason. Because this is what a genuine believer looks like. It is somebody that makes a confession that Jesus is my Lord and my God. If you haven't made that confession of faith, and if you're not living like that is true, then we, we need to have a talk about what genuine faith looks like and what it means to be a genuine believer. So what does it mean to confess Jesus as my Lord? 
Because again, you and I must do that. If you look down, let me, let me just help you see. In verses 30 and 31, um, John, right, so this is right after this. This isn't going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, look at verse 30 and 31 or, or listen to this. Because John gives us the explicit reason why he wrote his book. And he says this right after this encounter with, with Thomas. This is significant. John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Okay? So John, right after this experience with Thomas, is going to say, I wrote this so that you would believe in Jesus and that would would give you life in Jesus' name. So we have to bring the two together and say, John is giving us an example of Thomas's faith, he says, this is what you must believe. This is what you must be like in order to have life in Jesus's name, okay? So to make sure that we, we have that and that's clear. So what does it mean then? If we must confess Jesus as my Lord and my God in order to have life in Jesus' name, what does it mean to confess Jesus as my Lord? What does that mean? Well, to confess Jesus as my Lord says at least two things. <laughs> to confess Jesus as Lord is to confess him as your highest authority. He's your highest authority. It's to confess Jesus as your king or your master or your authority, right? To believe in Jesus, true, genuine belief that leads to life in his name is a belief that leads to a life where Jesus is your supreme authority. Nobody else um, comes close. He, He is your supreme authority. He gets the say in what you do and how you live your life. He is your king. He is your master. And this is not a drag or a weight to have Jesus as your authority as some would believe, right? We, we don't like, um, you know, particularly Americans historically, we don't really like authority, you know, as Brock talked about earlier. We, we like to kind of buck it off and, and do our own thing, right? So we see authority as sort of uh, something that weighs on us, something that's heavy, something we don't really like, except not with Jesus, Jesus is the only authority that that actually gives us true life, (laughs) that actually gives us true freedom. Jesus is the only one because he is a a kind and loving king who laid down his life for you. And this is the only king worth your full allegiance and your whole life because there's only life in his name, as John says in verse 31. So we must confess Jesus as Lord, as our highest authority, and then we must live like it. He is our ultimate authority. We do what he says to do in his word. And confessing Jesus as Lord also means that nothing or nobody else is, right? So to confess Jesus as Lord is to say, Jesus is my highest authority, but it's also at the same time to say, nobody else is my highest authority. So both, both things are, um, are true here. And this has historically caused problems for Christians, the earliest Christians um, uh, uh, that were subjects of the Roman Empire, the, the Roman Empire would say that uh, all of their subjects had to say Kaiser Curios, which means Caesar is Lord. They would make them confess that, right? But Christians have a problem with saying that Caesar is Lord because Christos Curios, Jesus is Lord. So this comes into uh, a head. It comes into uh, an issue because people in authority do not like to say that you have an, don't like to hear that you have another authority. So this happened right from the beginning. This is where the, you know, persecution of, of Christians comes in, starting with Nero and then, and then beyond, because 
The Christians were saying, we have another authority. It's not you, human. You're not my highest authority. I I have a greater authority. It's Jesus, my Lord and my God. The same type of um, declaration of ultimate allegiance, right, uh, is still happening today, right? And and, uh, why would the Chinese Communist Party continue to try and stamp out Christianity from China? Well, because it scares them. They don't know. um, They want want the state to be Lord. They want to be your highest authority. They, They want to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it. But Christians can't do that. We say, no, Jesus has the authority in my life. He's the one that gets to tell me what to do, how to do it, and why to do it. Um, so this is, this is still true, and we still need to be making these uh, distinctions in, in our lives today to confess Jesus as Lord. He's our highest, highest authority, and nobody else is. Right? Um, and we must maintain this distinction even in America because there's a subtle and a maybe even more insidious problem is when we try and say Jesus is Lord, but also we can sort of uh, merge America kind of in there with it to where Jesus and America are sort of the same thing. Um, that's scary. <laughs> because Jesus is Lord, nobody else is. Right? To have the type of faith that brings um, true life in Jesus' name is to say Jesus is Lord and nobody or nothing else is. He gets the say. And we must, have a, we must have a faith like Jesus, sorry, like Thomas, that declares and then lives like Jesus is Lord, our ultimate authority. So we must say, you and I must say today, Jesus is Lord. And we must bow the knee in faith and say, Jesus is our ultimate authority. He gets to say, nobody else, nothing else. Okay. So the type of faith that gives us life is one that not only declares that Jesus is Lord, but also declares that Jesus is God. Jesus is not just a good teacher with some good ideas. You know, he's not just a moral philosopher. Not just that. He is that, but he's more than that. He is God. You know, he's, he's not just uh, one way. John 14, 6, he is the way. Right? He is God. He is the second person of the Trinity who took on human flesh. God himself entered into his own creation to redeem it, to save it. He did so by living a perfect life of obedience to God the Father, the life that we could never live. And then he went to the cross and was crucified with our sin and our debt upon his shoulders, paying the debt that we owed, dying the death that we deserved. And then defeated sin by raising from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples, including Thomas, proving his resurrection. And then he gloriously ascended to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father from where he will come again to judge the living and the dead and to usher in the new creation of the new heavens and new earth where we will live with him in glory forever. He is God. Not just just a good guy. Not just one of the other ways to God. He is God. He is the way. Today, confess with Thomas that he is Lord and God. And if you don't have this type of faith, if you're not making this confession that he is your ultimate authority and he is the only way, that he is God, if you're not saying these things um, truly with your mouth and uh, in your mind, with, with your heart in faith, if you're not saying my Lord and my God to Jesus, then you do not have a saving faith. And I love you enough to tell you that. 
Because too many people in our culture, in our time, they just want to kind of give the head nod to Jesus. You know, like, sup, he's cool. I'll go to church every once in a while. I'll kind of give the head nod because it's sort of the thing to do. I want my fire insurance. You know, I prayed a prayer one time. That's it. No, no, no. John, I mean, the Holy Spirit through John is saying that that is not a type of faith that saves. The type of faith that saves, the type of faith that gives you true life now is a faith that says, my Lord and my God to Jesus. We have to have this type of faith. Not just, oh yeah, Jesus is cool, um, but to be a genuine believer. We must say, my Lord and my God. An encounter with the risen Jesus can make anybody a genuine believer. Not just a skeptic. Anybody who has an encounter with the risen Jesus can become a believer. All right, we're going to conclude then. We're going to wrap up with this question. Do you have this type of faith? Do you have this type of faith? If not, ask God for it now. If you're not living like, though, if you're not living like, then Jesus is your ultimate authority. Like he's the one that gets the say because he is Lord and he is God. If you're not living like that, I would urge you this morning to repent, to turn from that lifestyle and embrace a life where Jesus is your ultimate authority, where you do what he says to do in his word, where you seek to obey him in every area of your life, where you seek to allow him by the power of the Holy Spirit to live through you, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, Because that's the life of the Christian. We must live our lives in a way knowing that our Lord is our God. And if we know that, um, nothing can hurt us in this life. (laughs) You know? It doesn't doesn't matter what what we go through. People may try and and hurt us, tear us down. Um, Somebody could kill our bodies, but they can never um, take away the truth um, that we have life in Jesus' name. And we have abundant life now, a life of joy of following him, but we have eternal life as well because we have made this confession that Jesus is our Lord and our God. So let's live like it then and let us commit our lives to telling others about him. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for um, this truth. And thank you for the example uh, that Thomas gives. Lord, and I pray if there's, there's anybody now uh, that has, has come this morning that has not made this confession of faith of my Lord and my God, I pray that they would. If there's anybody that's been sort of wrestling with, um, you know, their faith, I pray that today they would um, have an encounter with you, that they would come to faith in you and they would confess my Lord and my God. And for all of us, I pray that we would live that out, that we would live that out. Lord, and as there are people in our lives that need to have an encounter with you as well, I pray that um, you would use us to be the ones to tell them what you have done, that you would give us the the words to speak and and the boldness uh, and the wisdom to say what we need to say in order to tell them what you have done. And Lord, may our whole lives be lived under your authority because you are our Lord and our God. We thank you for these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day. 
and God bless.